I was kind of sort of wedded to the position in, in many ways. I, you know, I, you know, I was, had that excitement that I'd potentially found something that was being underappreciated by by the broader market. And that, then even when the price of gold fell slightly, and then then there was this kind of sort of geopolitical factors affecting the you know the mining operation. It it still took me quite a while to suddenly think I've I've made a mistake here. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Peter Sainsbury. Peter, are you ready to rock? I sure am. Let's do this. All right. Well, Peter is an investor in resource stocks and is also a commodities futures trader. In an attempt to help others, he wrote two books aimed at investors, Commodities, 50 Things You Really Need to Know, and Crude Forecasts, Predictions, Pundits, and Profits in the Commodity Casino. I like that choice of words. At Material Risk, he writes about what he observes in the world of markets, economics, and investing. And you can find that at www.materials-risk.com. Peter, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Okay. Yeah, my, my day job is as an economist. So it's partly to help companies and countries become more resource efficient. And, and as perhaps we'll see later in this interview, you know, being an economist is, you know, it helps, but also it's a hindrance sometimes as well. Other sort of facts about me. I grew up in Somerset in England and after moving about, a few different places uh, and now live in uh, in Worcestershire in England as, as well. Mm. And I'm, I'm curious about if we have some young listeners that are listening in and they know what it means to be a fund manager, they know what it means to be an analyst, maybe you could just give us a, a brief minute on, you know, what does it mean to be an economist? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's, well, economics is all about understanding incentives and you know, why people do things they do, uh, why companies and countries behave the way they do. And yeah, in terms of what, what I do, it's, it's more about trying to align incentives so people waste less products, less materials, uh, and become more resource efficient. So it's all about, all about incentives. Got it. And I guess that comes down to, you know, is it, there's a huge aspect of social science. Is economics in the social sciences or is it in the separate category? How would you call that? Yeah, I think uh, it depends on what economist you, you ask that question. But yeah, I think it is, it's very much aligned with other social sciences. So you know, sort of behavioral, behavioral economics is very, very much closely aligned with uh, kind of broader sort of macro and microeconomics as well. Um, so yeah. Mm, got it. All right, well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Okay. Well, this dates back to sort of late 2013, early 2014. And I had previously had some success with 
backing uh, the price of gold in in its run up to uh, its uh, 2010 2011 peak, and then back in back in 2013 into 2014, the gold price was around about fifteen hundred dollars a month an ounce. So similar to where it is now, really. So prices has dropped by about four hundred dollars over the over the previous few years, and there was there was really good reasons for the price of gold to have to have gone down. You know. Rising real interest rates, the opportunity cost of, of holding gold had, had fallen because, uh, or it increased. Sorry, as the as the stock market had, had, had rebounded, but it just it really felt to me as if there could be an opportunity here at the time. You know, sentiment towards gold in general, and you know, gold miners specifically was really poor, like really in the toilet. But there was also those kind of sort of fears over you know, the long term impact of. Of low interest rates, you know that it would result in mispricing. That uh, you know resources wouldn't, wouldn't be allocated properly, and that it was storing up problems for the future. Really, you know, much as what we kind of can see to this to this day. And there was also some evidence that you know there was a, a kind of a sort of mid cycle correction in gold prices, similar to what we'd seen in the, in the mid nineteen seventies. And so, I kind of really was thinking this. Could be like a really interesting contrarian position at the time, and I wanted to, and that that always kind of excites me sometimes is to, you know, go against the the trend in the market, and the way I was looking to play this was to gain a, a kind of a, a sort of leveraged exposure to gold, hopefully provide some sort of limited downside as well, and I was searching around for different uh, ways to to play it. And um, through you know, reading various articles and a company that kept up, coming up and up on, on social media, and I won't name it, but it was, it was a particular company based in, uh, in Southeast Asia. And it appeared to have one of the lowest cost structures of all the, many of the, the gold mining companies. So even if the, the gold price was to fall even further from that position, it, it all the signs were there that it could potentially be you know, have some sort of, you know, sort of asymmetric risk attached to it. So, you know, limited downside, but potentially a lot more, a lot more upside. So, I did a lot of research into the company and uh, saw how how it performed under under different um, gold price environments in in the past, and and it was looking looking really interesting. So, in early 2014, I placed a, an order to buy a certain amount of you know, shares in the company, and yeah, it's that feeling of excitement, you know, that you've you've gone against the market sentiment, and that you know, that you really might have, there might be something really interesting to play here. Now, the problem was, though, first of all, that the gold price kept on falling, and, and you know, for, for for the next uh, couple of years. And that, that shouldn't necessarily have been a problem. But the problem was with this particular company was that it was based in uh, a country where a change in political regime meant that uh, the attitudes to, to mining in the, in the country were increasingly negative. So there was a, a trend towards sort of resource nationalism and yeah, much more stringent regulations on foreign mining companies operating, operating in this particular country. 
so this was something I had considered, but I thought, no, there's, this is going to be, I think the risks were, weren't as bad as perhaps they, they subsequently turned out to be. So I, I kind of think of this as probably one of my sort of almost like a monster mistake, really, in terms of what, what mistakes I made. And um, the company, the share price of the company is down around about 70% since the start of 2014. Uh, and that's despite the recent rally in, in the gold price. Mm. back to the same similar levels that it was in, in 2014. And one question about that is when you bought the shares in this, the stock, were you buying it in that local market through a local broker or you were buying it through a, a, a broker in, in the UK or like what was the liquidity of that? Yeah. Were you were able to get out of it pretty easily or was there something that it took a lot of steps to do that? Yes, yeah, so the, the uh, company was listed in the Australian stock market so I'm based here in the UK, but it was you know, relatively straightforward to sort of get into that position at the start. But then once, and perhaps we'll get to this, you know, once I took the decision to get out of that market, out of that company, it was became harder and harder to get you know, to close out my position. So what was the turning point or how did, how did it go? I mean, you must have felt pretty, I, I wrote down as you were writing about the, you know, the, the confidence or the excitement of taking a contrarian position. You know, it's pretty exciting to feel like you've found something, you've done your research on it, you think you've found a way to invest in this theme or this concept, and then you put that trade on. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, that, that's right. And I, and I think to an extent there was a, this, I was kind of, Sort of wedded to the position in, in many ways. Uh, you know, I, you know, I was, had that excitement that I'd potentially found something that was being underappreciated by, by the broader market. And that, then even when the price of gold fell slightly and then, then there was this kind of sort of geopolitical factors affecting the, you know, the mining operation, it, I, think, I think I was, you know, it, it still took me quite a while to suddenly think, I've, I've made a mistake here. And that was probably the sort of the greatest flaw in, in this particular, particular investment. You know, it, it took a long time for me to actually not just realize I've made a mistake, but actually accept, accept I've made a mistake and then to actually move on and close out that, that position position. And like, when was the, mm -hmm. if we think of it from a timeline perspective, you get into the position, <clears throat> you're feeling pretty confident. Some things are starting to hit against it, but you feel like, I've done my work on this. I'm comfortable. Let it fall a little bit. Hey, I could even buy more in some cases. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That, exactly that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I um, there was a, there was certainly a you know, lack of information about what was happening in the country and whether you know the risks were you know being over you know overplayed and that you know as you said it might be an opportunity to buy buy more. So I think it was probably. A few months later, at least, that I suddenly thought, "No, this, 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 this isn't working out right." I've gone, you know, way in over my head here, and you know, need need to start getting out of this. Uh, so, it was a, from that initial excitement, it was, you know, lost some of that initial excitement very, very quickly, <laughs> and then it was, and then it was um, almost like a sort of feeling of panic towards the end, thinking, "No, this is." I've made a big mistake here and uh, mm. I need to get out of it. And what was the process of getting out of it? it because it was a, a relatively, or you know, when, when I first went into the position, it was quite a liquid stock. 
But then once I took a decision to get out of it, the price had already fallen by maybe about sort of 30, 40% at least. And then to actually be able to close it out was, it took some time to do, just because there was, there was very little bids in the market. Mm. And was it having a price impact when you were trying to get out or it was just taking time? No, no that doesn't seem, didn't seem to be a price impact, but it just took time to get out of it. And, you know, I'm sure I wasn't the only person trying to, trying to do that as well. Yeah, the, the news, yeah, the news uh, initially had a big impact on the price, but then it went quiet and that's what uh, perhaps made it seem like a potentially a, an opportunity to get further into the position. But then, yeah, the news gradually came, came out that, you know, things were getting, getting worse for, the, for this particular company and, and others in, in, this, in this country as well. So yeah, yeah, gradually, gradually got worse and worse. And can you remember the day when you finally closed out the whole position? Yes, I can. Uh, so it was about probably around you know the middle of middle of twenty fourteen, maybe a little bit uh, a bit later. And once it all closed closed out, it was a a feeling of a feeling of sort of resignation that um, that I had had made a mistake. But I was out of it now because the, the feeling was up until this point, it, it was weighing not just on my, you know, everything else perhaps in, in my life, but it was weighing on my abilities as, a, as an investor to, to spot opportunities elsewhere. And mm. so it was kind of really, you know, not cutting my losses. Uh, I meant I was kind of wasting time emotional energy and, and of course the money as well. So there was a, there was a big opportunity cost for me in delaying closing out my position. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a mistake really. I had, you know, that was, that was poor risk management. And the other one really was clearly that I'd put a lot of eggs in one basket and, you know, being, although I'd, you know, clearly thought about it in terms of, you know, a low, co- a low cost producer would be able to weather any storm in, the gold price better better than others. I hadn't considered the you know the geopolitical impact of, of being exposed to one one particular country. And I think I think the final sort of big lesson I learned as well was about kind of being more critical of some of the articles and influences you get from from social media and, and just the financial media in general. There's clearly lots you can learn from you know, different people. But you know, on Twitter and, and elsewhere, and, and and in the financial media, but you've always got to try and avoid being pushed into action by the by the noise in the marketplace. Mm. Yep. Maybe I'll summarize it. Some of the things that I take away from it. You know, one of the things is liquidity is a major risk, and we always got to keep in mind liquidity because sometimes something may be liquid, and then when you actually need to to sell it it's not as liquid as it was in the past. So I think about liquidity, number one, I think about diversification and the idea of, well, maybe it's better to say if I'm going to buy miners, instead of saying I can, I'm going to find the number one best miner and I'm going to put all my money in that or put a large sum in that, that maybe it's a better idea to say, why don't I try to find the best five miners and put some you know, position in it. The other thing that, you know, that I take away from it too is that and I, I hear this from a lot of the people that I interview that are financial professionals, 
and and that is that you know it it can shake your confidence to have a trade go wrong when you're in the financial world you know you're taking care of other people's money or you're giving people advice and then you're making a mistake and and then you know or you you're just it just happens and then you spend time thinking about it and you know you mentioned about the opportunity costs and you know i had a, a one of the people i've interviewed here who basically you know it was very depressing for him and it was hard for him to face some of the financial people that he you know that he knew in the industry and he just felt like you know it it really hurt which was when he sold the position it was such a relief <laughs> yeah. to get out of it <laughs> and say i i made a mistake but i'm out of that now so those are some of the things that i kind of take away from anything you'd add yeah no, i think i think that's that's yeah probably sums it up really well um i think another thing perhaps would be that i could have perhaps looking looked at a sort of a cleaner way of gaining exposure to, to the gold price rather than trying to look for you know kind of a proxy for you know a long position in in the market i thought i was being clever by you know get, going into a low cost gold miner but in many ways i was i was making it much more complicated than it than it needed to be mm, that's interesting because a lot of times when we in the financial world it, we do tend to make it complicated but here maybe keeping it simple would have been mm. you know a great you know a great step yeah. yeah well based on what you learned from this story and you know what you continue to learn what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate and i'd like you to think about that man or woman out there who really is maybe their their confidence is even turned into obsession about that one stock about that one idea that's a contrarian you know idea and they really feel pretty excited about this just curious, you know, what, what one piece of advice would you give them? Yeah, I think uh, it's a, it's a very difficult, difficult question, but I think it's really about kind of making your own decisions. I think you, know, you can, you need to, don't be swayed by what you read or, or see on financial TV, you know, do your own research, make sure you're, it's what you're investing in is, is aligned to what you actually expect to see happen. And then, you know, the tool that I've perhaps used since then and has kind of enabled me to make, you know, to keep on making my own decisions and, you know, making better decisions, I, I hope, is to, to use a, a journal. So it's sort of a decision-making journal. Mm. Um, and I can kind of use that to sort of track the actual process over time so that I'm, I keep on sticking to the process rather than sort of deviating from it. This is actually a, you know, one of the, one of the few times that we've talked about journaling, and I think this is great advice for writing it down and following up, keeping yourself honest about, you know, what you said and what's happening and what adjustments you're making. Yeah. All right. Last question: What's your number one goal for the next twelve months? Okay, I'm writing a another book, and it's kind of. It's kind of aligned to what we've talked about today. Actually, it's about both, you know, for media consumers, you know, whether you're in investment or, or anything else. Really, it's just making you as a consumer better prepared. So, you know, paying attention to what's important, being a critical media consumer, and kind of understanding those those narratives that affect all of our our decision making. So that's yeah, it's a book that I'm I'm working on now. So hopefully, uh, over the next few months, I'm aiming to finish that. 
That is fascinating. You know, it's media is such a bigger role. I mean, when you think about, I think about when I grew up in a little town in Ohio, Hudson, Ohio, and, you know, we just got on our bicycles and we rode around and we went to the park and we, <laughs> we looked up at the sky and, you know, we, okay, we smoked a joint every now and then, but, <laughs> you know, we, we went home and, you know, we turned on the TV for an hour or whatever, but, you know, generally listen to the radio a little bit. But I mean, the barrage of media right now is just yeah. unbelievable. And the people, every single entity wants to control the narrative in one way or another, whether that's an ad, mm. whether that's a government, whether that's a politician, no matter what it is, there's someone out there controlling that narrative. And if you don't have some ground rules about how you consume that, yeah, I think you've got a, a, good, a good idea with that. And I'm kind of thinking, how to eat your, you know, how, how to how to eat the media? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You receive. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that, that's very exciting. All right, well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Peter, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for taking your worst investment and turning into your best learning moment for the audience. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, uh, no, just, I guess it's uh, about what I try and tell myself, but also something I try and tell my, uh, my nine-year-old son, really. It's, it's about sort of, you know, never, isn't it? You know, it's never too late to try new things. You know, an investment is part of that. But mistakes are always, you know, going to be ine inevitable. But I think it's about just trying not make too, you know, mistakes are inevitable, but just make them relatively small ones and, uh, and learn from that and move on. Great advice. And this is the place to learn from those mistakes. And I think you're going to help a lot of people learn from your mistakes. So I appreciate that. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.